you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of the most disturbing television series my wife and I have ever watched together was 13 Reasons Why. If you aren't familiar with it, this Netflix original revolves around 17-year-old high school student Clay Jensen and his friend Hannah Baker, who just recently killed herself. A box of cassette tapes are left behind by Hannah, which tell the reasons why she committed suicide. Spoiler alert, she killed herself due to the rampant culture of gossip and sexual assault found in her high school, along with the lack of support given to her by family and friends. I will say that I get why the first season of the show is so popular, as well as the 2007 book it was based on. Teenage drama can sadly be compelling to watch. And it was easy to get lured into the suspense of finding out Hannah's true motives for committing suicide. But with absolutely no grounding in anything close to a Christian worldview, the show just degenerated into a depressing statement of the lack of any real love or compassion in this world. No solution was given for the ongoing problem of teenage suicide, just a stark warning that any of our teens can be susceptible without parents having a clue. Now, it doesn't take watching 13 Reasons Why to understand that the tragedy of a teenager actually taking his or her own life is devastating for family members, friends, and the community. Parents, siblings, and youth ministry workers can be left wondering whether or not they could have done something to prevent the teen from turning to suicide. Sometimes there are pretty clear signs that may have been overlooked. Yet for many teens, suicidal thoughts are kept secretive or only shared with select friends. Depressed feelings, anxiety, bitterness, guilt, and shame can all lead a teenager to think about or even attempt suicide. Getting a teenager to open up and talk about his or her thoughts and feelings can be very difficult. Then, when a teen actually begins talking to a parent or other adult about suicide, it can be an entirely different challenge to know what to say and do. The problem of suicide is truly a community problem that demands intervention and response from parents, youth workers, friends, and other family members. So let's be clear, by definition, suicide is taking of one's own life. The focus of this podcast will not be on how to handle teenage suicide after it happens, like 13 Reasons Why, but before it. Therefore, the dual issues we will consider are first, suicidal ideation, and second, suicide attempt. Suicidal ideations are thoughts about suicide or the mental activity of planning a suicide. Many teenagers have a random thought about suicide from time to time. Suicidal ideation is typically much more frequent and ends up with a plan for committing suicide. The next degree of intensity after suicidal ideation is an actual suicide attempt. Teenagers can try to kill themselves by a firearm, drug overdose, asphyxiation, slitting wrists, or various other ways. 
So we need to get very practical when it comes to handling the problem of suicidal thoughts or actual suicide attempts. But remember, we also need to dig down deep and get to what is going on in the heart of our teenagers. Teenage suicide is always a shock to the system for everyone involved. While biblical counseling is necessary for family members and friends after the death of a teen, the focus of this podcast will be on the intervention and prevention of teenage suicide. Murder is against God's law, and that includes the killing of self. Being made in the image of God, we are forbidden to shed the blood of others and, by extension, ourselves. Yet even though Christians should know that suicide is wrong, our teens can struggle with suicidal thoughts, as well as the connected problems of the heart and mind that lead to a suicide attempt. It is essential that parents and other adults recognize the signs of a potential attempt, as well as be prepared to give sound biblical counsel when a teen confesses to suicidal thoughts. While the Bible doesn't give us a step-by-step plan for suicide intervention, there are essential principles that must be applied. First, we must recognize the signs. Unfortunately, teens don't often come out and tell their parents or youth ministry workers that they are about to commit suicide. Consider Riley, a 16-year-old young lady who has battled anxiety and depression for the past year. Does that necessarily make her a candidate for suicidal thoughts or a suicide attempt? No. Yet it certainly increases the possibility, especially as time goes on. Add to these problems the fact that Riley is now becoming more withdrawn, refuses to go to youth group, and is systematically ending friendships, and the red flags are definitely waving. Recognizing the signs is not easy and cannot be reduced to some sort of checklist that automatically elicits the right conclusion. In Riley's case, it is certainly worth asking the question and seeking to listen to what is on her heart and mind. Extended depression and anxiety coupled with social isolation puts the teenager at a much higher suicide risk. Well, there are several other signs that should be put on the immediate action list, especially if they occur in combination with one another. These include giving away prized possessions and getting affairs in order, talking more about death and dying than before, saying goodbyes to friends and loved ones, collecting items needed for a suicide attempt, social withdrawal and isolation, Increased drug and alcohol use, refusal to do activities that were once pleasurable, increased participation in risky behaviors, changing eating or sleeping habits, feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, and then finally extreme changes in personality. Clearly, any one of these symptoms demand a parent's attention even if the teen does not confess to being suicidal. And unfortunately, there'll be many teenagers who commit suicide who don't significantly manifest any of these signs. Recognizing what is going on in a teen's heart and mind solely through outward behavior is extremely difficult. At the same time, parents and friends should be highly vigilant when any sign of suicide becomes apparent. Then there's the next principle. Be willing to ask direct questions. 
when there appears to be signs of potential suicidal thoughts, just as in Riley's case, it is essential that certain direct questions are asked. This should not be some sort of police-like interrogation, but a compassionate inquiry into what is going on in our heart and mind. If, as a parent, you are led by anxiety and fear, these questions will come across in an intimidating fashion rather than driven by love. You must truly be seeking to listen and to understand. The teen needs to open up and feel free to be honest rather than feel accused or judged. So begin with a question like, I'm concerned about some of your recent behavior. Are you having any thoughts about hurting yourself? Depending on the answer to this question, you may have to be even more direct. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Do you have a plan to commit suicide? These are certainly difficult questions to ask a teenager, yet not asking the questions keeps everything in the dark. As answers are being given to your questions, it is vital that you listen closely to what is said. You are primarily listening for false beliefs. In Riley's case, you may hear things like, I don't have any friends anymore. Everybody has rejected me. I'm tired of being so sad and down all the time. Life is just too hard. I just don't think I have a bright future. It all seems so pointless. Even if your teen denies having a plan to commit suicide, express thoughts like Riley's are clearly on the path towards suicidal thoughts. Therefore, along with asking direct questions and listening to the responses, it is time to gently speak to the lies that she is believing. The emphasis here is on the word gently. When a teenager is at such a low place, she is vulnerable to Satan's lies and more easily believes falsehoods rather than the truth. Yet she needs to hear truth. Instead of lecturing, use good questions to redirect her thoughts. Some examples are, how have your friends rejected you? What is most difficult about your life right now? What do you fear the most? As the conversation continues, remember you're seeking to listen and understand, not just talk her out of a suicide attempt at this point in the process. Next, there must be wise evaluation. It should go without saying that helping a teenager who is contemplating suicide takes great wisdom and discernment, as well as compassion. There are consequences for either overreacting or underreacting to what is being said. While it may seem safer to overreact and err on the side of caution, it can sometimes infuse fear and anxiety into the situation. For example, what if Riley says, I occasionally have suicidal thoughts, but I would never kill myself. How should you respond? If you think that she may not be telling the whole truth, just seeking to downplay the situation, then you may need to take more forceful steps. This may be the wise response. But on the other hand, if you discern that she is genuinely just struggling with some lies in her head and isn't really planning to kill herself, then your response would be different. As with all biblical counseling, it is essential to rely on the Holy Spirit and not just our own thoughts. Sometimes it is wiser to be more aggressive. Other times the teenager must be trusted to deal with what is going on in his or her heart and mind. This evaluation must go beyond the words that you are hearing from your teenager. 
Again, in Riley's case, you already see behaviors that point to suicidal thoughts and desires. But as she talks to you, what do her nonverbals say? Is she passionate and emotional or more subdued with little affect? Does she appear walled off and closed or receptive and open? Do her emotions match the words coming out of her mouth? Riley may say a lot more to you simply by what she is not saying. To be clear, this doesn't mean that you have to be some sort of expert in reading micro-expressions or emotional output. Spirit-led wisdom is what is needed, trusting that God will give clarity of thought to you. Whether Riley admits or denies having suicidal thoughts or a plan, her willingness to talk to you about it is very important. When teenagers are closed and withdrawn, there is much greater reason to be concerned. Talking about the suicidal thoughts doesn't necessarily mean a teenager will not attempt suicide. A wise evaluation will balance what the teen is saying and how it fits with how he or she is acting. Well, here's another practical principle to talk about. The truth about heaven and hell. 15-year-old Stuart also needs to be questioned about his suicidal thoughts and or plans. When he is confronted about suicidal text messages, he claims to be just kidding. Yet you already know he has talked about suicide several times in the past, and not just when he is angry or emotionally upset. In cases like this, it's time to take the conversation further towards the eternal consequences involved. So what do we say about heaven and hell? For Christians, the temptation is to tell teenagers that if they commit suicide, they will go to hell. But does God's word bear this out? Not in a direct way. Even though it's true that taking of our own life is a sin, Scripture does not teach or give any example of suicide as sending a person to hell. Relatedly, it is also a broad generalization to conceive of all people who commit suicide as unbelievers. Christians can have suicidal thoughts and even attempt or commit suicide. If salvation is truly accomplished by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, then nothing can separate the believer from God, not even suicide. Romans 8, 28 through 29. Now here's where we must be very, very careful. While it is true that the person who commits suicide is not automatically destined for hell, it is also true that he or she is not automatically destined for heaven either. Promising a professing Christian like Stuart that he will still go to heaven even if he commits suicide is never a good idea. Satan can use the truth that heaven is a free gift of God's grace to convince people to disobey and rebel against God in all sorts of ways, including by committing suicide. The better approach to eternal questions begin with statements and questions like, if you are having suicidal thoughts, Maybe you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you must also have faith to continue to live the life God has given you. You may think you know Christ, but why risk your life on it? Or finally, if you kill yourself, you can't change your mind. So while it is wrong to threaten a suicidal teen with hell, it is also wrong to promise him or her eternity in heaven. The issue here is whether the teenager will act in obedience and in faith or give in to the lies and deception of the evil one. 
Here's another way to practically help a suicidal teenager. Offer other options. Some teenagers are either actively planning or have attempted to commit suicide. Quan, a 17-year-old, tried to shoot himself after being arrested for drunk driving. The driving force for this desperate act was the knowledge that his third arrest would certainly mean jail time. In Quan's mind, the only available option to him was killing himself, thereby avoiding prison. In this extreme case, there realistically may not be many options available. And yet, it is essential that Quan be challenged to look at other possibilities. If jail time is required, how much time? Will there be opportunities for early release or parole? Can he finish his high school education or receive some sort of job training while in prison? The point is that the teenager needs to see how there are not just two options, impossible pain or death. While it is understandable for a teen like Quan to think that way, he needs to be encouraged to consider all possible scenarios. Is death really better than time in prison? Does someone who goes to prison automatically have a life that is ruined forever? In order to not act on emotions and the stressors of the moment, a teen who is contemplating suicide will need help to think clearly. A scripture passage to apply in this case is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The connected emphases here are that God is faithful, God does not allow us to be tempted beyond our capacity, and that God will make a way of escape. The believer is not alone in seemingly desperate situations. So it is essential to ask the teenager about ways of escape that God can provide out of his faithfulness and love. Sometimes God provides people and relationships that can help the teen escape from suicidal thoughts. Other times, clear thinking allows the teen to contemplate better plans to solve the current problem. Suicide can never be seen as the only option for the Christian, even in the most severe cases. Helping a teenager walk through each and every scenario may allow him or her to move forward biblically. Next, we also need to offer teens a support system. Even though many teenagers who contemplate suicide tend to push people away, break friendships, and withdraw from relationships, a support system is mandatory to be able to emerge from that dark place. Riley refuses to go to youth group anymore and has cut off her closest friends. Even so, hopefully, there are parents and other family members who can be the foundation of her support through this time. The reality is teenage peers may not be the best support of a teen who is suicidal. They can more easily judge, criticize, and gossip, or simply become immobilized by fear and anxiety. Wise and mature parents and other adults are needed to bring calm and encouragement into the teenager's life. Teens like Riley, Quan, and Stuart should never feel they are alone in their struggles. Unfortunately, some teenagers only seek the help of their peers and not parents or other adults. Again, if the signs of suicide are there, adults need to offer a support system for the troubled teen. So practically speaking, how do these family members and friends who want to help actually provide support? 
Initially, depending on the situation, the support system should be very intensive. Ensuring the teenager is watched 24 hours a day, every day, for a time, may be necessary. After the initial crisis period wanes, parents, friends, and family members should continue the conversations and establish accountability. One important caution here is to take care not to bring greater shame or humiliation into the teen's heart and mind. It is easy to turn the teenager into a child, putting him or her under some sort of house arrest. Again, fear and panic cannot rule the day, even though this is clearly a stressful time. A loving support system does more than simply watch, trying to prevent a successful suicide. All involved should be praying for and with the teenager, providing biblical counsel, and walking with him or her along the way. In this way, they will fulfill the law of love by bearing the great burden of the suicidal teenager. Well, here's another practical step in the process. Have the teenager make a covenant with you. If it is determined that a teenager is truly thinking about attempting suicide or even has a plan in place, it is time to make a contract or covenant with him or her. The term covenant is preferred since it is a rich theological term as well as highly relational in nature. Using contract terminology makes things seem more businesslike and clinical rather than spiritual and connectional. Parents or any other adult can start with a verbal covenant and move to a signed written one if necessary. Basically, the covenant should say that the teenager commits to not committing suicide for a 24-hour or any agreed-upon period of time. It should also include language about what the teenager agrees to do if he or she is tempted to harm self in any way. On the other side of the covenant, the parent or other adult promises to keep the teen accountable and provide counseling and care when needed. Again, this covenant can be verbally attested, but preferably signed, to make it more formal and binding. Then make sure to lead the teen in a covenant prayer to our covenant-keeping God, since the covenant is ultimately made to him. Now you may be asking, what good does a covenant promise do for the suicidal teenager? Wouldn't the teenager just say what has to be said and then do what he or she is planning to do? Certainly there are teens, especially those who are unbelievers, who will deceive parents or other adults. Or some teens may have good intentions, but still break the covenant and commit suicide. Yet in many cases, a covenant actually becomes binding on the conscience and used by the Holy Spirit to restrain sinful impulses. There's a certain power in commitment, as well as the fact that God's power comes to rest in our hearts as we covenant with him. So this is no mere formality or some sort of useless activity to make all parties feel better. A teenager who is willing to make a covenant for even a day or two will have better motivation to keep from committing suicide beyond that. Again, this covenant connects the teenager to a support system as well as to the Lord God himself, allowing change and growth to happen rather than continuing the sinful downward spiral. So what about the possibility of emergency hospitalization? In the most extreme cases, a teen may need more intervention than a parent or biblical counselor can offer. 
Laws and policies concerning emergency lockdown hospitalization vary from state to state in the United States, as well as other countries. In some places, a teenager who is assessed to be a harm to himself can be involuntarily admitted to a hospital or psychiatric unit for 48 hours up to 72 hours. In other places, commitment is for a much shorter amount of time. Sometimes parents can have their teenager hospitalized. Other times, a medical or psychiatric diagnosis is required. In some places, even the county coroner can ask for an emergency hospitalization. If you aren't familiar with your state or national laws and procedures, a good place to start is with your family doctor. When hospitalization is required because of a failed suicide attempt, like in Kwan's case, then a psychiatric evaluation will become mandatory. There'll be important choices to make about future medical or psychiatric care in the coming days. The emergency hospitalization is meant to get through the all-important first 24 to 48 hours of the crisis. An emergency hospitalization also affords the opportunity for the teenager to have a complete medical checkup. It'd be very helpful to find out if there are any physiological problems in the life of the teen. Since Riley has battled depression and anxiety for the past year, ruling out any physical problems would be required. When medical doctors or psychiatric workers get involved, that doesn't mean parents and friends and youth ministry workers step aside and disappear. Suicidal thoughts or attempts are spiritual problems, even if there are body problems present. Be careful not to communicate to the teenager that his or her suicidal ideations are solely a chemical or hormonal issue that cannot be helped unless there are true physiological issues present. So while the hospital may be necessary as a short-term respite and intervention, biblical counseling and the Christian community will provide the long-term solution. And accordingly, make sure to deal with any underlying problems. Depending on the situation and the person, the problem of suicidal thoughts and attempts can put a family and a church into an instant state of crisis. Yet it is important not to simply treat it as a problem that quickly passes if the actual suicide doesn't happen. Teens who are having suicidal thoughts in the present will potentially have them again in the future. Unfortunately, a singular suicide attempt may not be the last one. So once the initial crisis has dissipated, the next stage of biblical counseling must begin. As has already been discussed in other podcasts, problems of anger, bitterness, guilt, shame, Depression and anxiety are issues that need to be addressed. Biblical counseling is always about getting to the heart of the matter, exposing root issues that need to be solved by the work of the Spirit. In that sense, the suicidal thoughts in a teen serve to illuminate other problems that may have been more hidden and secretive. Idols of the heart will also come to the surface as a full examination into the teen's emotional and mental state is accomplished. Most importantly, any thoughts of suicide point to the need for the teen to think about his or her view of God and his or her relationship to him. Questions such as the following can be asked. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God is sovereign and active in your life? Do you believe God has a plan for your life? Do you believe God is punishing you and not caring for you in some way? 
Exposing the teenager's relationship to God allows for further gospel conversations about the nature of true Christianity. A teenager may come to the realization that he or she is not a Christian in the first place. Or he or she may simply be struggling with the assurance of salvation. Maybe there are particular sins that the teen is hiding or doesn't believe God will forgive. Whatever the case, the underlying spiritual problem needs to be addressed and solutions sought. Since suicide is truly a matter of life and death, this is the time for a laser-like focus on the teen's beliefs about God, human beings, and salvation. Finally, it's really all about choosing life. In the end, teens like Quan, Riley, and Stuart, as well as other teenagers just like them, have a critical decision to make. Either they will choose life or choose death. But Christians know that the stakes are higher than simply physical life or death. Teens who are struggling with suicidal thoughts need to hear the gospel as recorded by the Apostle John. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 11 through 12. Life is not found in our possessions, our activities, our human relationships, or our circumstances, but in Christ himself. If Quan truly believed his life is his to take, then he may never have had eternal life in the first place. Riley, too, may fail to see that as a Christian, she has been bought with a price and her life is no longer hers. Stuart may be idolizing someone else's life rather than resting in the eternal life Christ has given him. Guiding our teens to choose life over death is a call to choose Christ over self, to enjoy his grace instead of being enslaved to sin and death. If you want to learn more about helping teens biblically, remember to pick up my forthcoming book, Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom, Counseling Teenagers Biblically, available from Christian Focus. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.